Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. I don't know that I can live up to that bumper. There's a lot there. There's a lot of energy going on. and uh, No, but we are talking about winning at the game of life. Last week, we kind of talked about ways that are important to kind of prioritize, to set our focus on placing God first. Today, I'd like to turn our attention to perhaps the most common spiritual discipline, something that uh, you've surely heard of. You've probably done it a time or two. If we're honest, we're probably not sure if we're doing doing it right. We may even question whether or not it's effective or working or how it's supposed to work. Today, we're going to talk about prayer, about the role that prayer plays in our life, the, the role that it's maybe supposed to play, the ways in which it contributes and adds to and helps us stay focused on winning at this game of life. So prayer's really gotten a bad rap, especially in the last couple years, the advent of social media. And it seems that whenever there's been a crisis recently, there's somebody who wants to push back against the offering of thoughts and prayers, right? And you guys are up to date on this conversation. It's really kind of caused kind of a bit of a, a divide of a ruckus. And people are saying, hey, there are, there are people who are sick. There are people who are dying. There are people who actually have needs and there are tangible ways to meet those needs. And if all you're offering is thoughts and prayers, maybe you should just keep that to yourself which has caused people of faith not only in our tradition but in a myriad of traditions who believe in spirituality, the power of prayer, the, the purpose of prayer, the interaction of something spiritual and something physical to perhaps step back from those conversations. How, after all, can you justify that what we're doing is really what we view as the most meaningful, important, and actual work that we could do in lifting someone up before the throne of God. Unless, of course, there's the reality of what our critics purport on us is actually true. Unless we simply don't offer to engage and we simply stand back by hiding behind the prayers in which we offer. Is it just an excuse for us to not do the hard things in life? Is it simply an opportunity for us to put out a platitude, to say something that we know ought to be right, something that we ought to be true? In other words, when we say that we'll pray, do we actually? Because the, the worst reality is that our critics expose us for who we truly are, a people who believe in prayer, who confess the power of prayer, but who are separated from it, who are distant from it, who use it as a scapegoat from doing anything of substance. Because if that's true, then we should absolutely stop offering our prayers when people are hurting. We should stop praying for a world in need. We should stop simply offering a platitude and re-examine this life that we're called to. So often we hide behind this moniker of faith and we express our doubts by our inactivity, the fact that we offer thoughts and prayers, but in our own lives we don't follow through with the action steps from them. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with wrestling with our faith, but when we express our tangible belief for the benefit of others and then don't do it, 
or we refuse to believe that it's effective or we don't believe in this spirituality anyway, then we might as well keep it to ourselves. So as we explore this idea of winning at the game of life, doing things that actually matter, I'd like to submit before us, I'd like to talk about the idea and the reality that prayer is a fundamental piece of what it takes to win at this life. Because if we are truly more than just the 70, 80, 90 years that we spend here in this reality, if there is a spiritual component, if there is something greater, then prayer is the access point to that. Prayer brings the intangible into the tangible. It is real, it is effective, and so many of us spend our time merely glossing over the surface of what prayer actually is. We're going to go a little bit deeper into some of these topics. I, I probably have enough content here for like three different sermons. So if somebody wants to order Jimmy John's, we're just going to camp out here for a little bit. It's going to come fast. You might need to re-listen. You might need to take notes. If God takes you in a different direction, feel free to just ignore me. But there's so much content on this, and it's so important and foundational that I really just want us to go as deep into this as we can and hopefully to find some action points for us in the middle, right? So when it comes to living our life effectively, to winning at the game of life, what do you believe about prayer? What's true? What have you experienced? What do you know that the scriptures say? And then how does that impact the living of your life? What are the action steps that you do because of your fundamental belief and the reality about prayer? How does it impact, affect, or influence winning in those most important areas of our lives? I firmly believe that we have undersold and undervalued the reality of prayer in our lives. That we've believed that it is less than it actually is and that we've relegated it to exactly what we are accused of. It being the equivalent of well wishes and good thoughts. And we have used it to hide from our roles to care for the world. And instead of a tool for shaping and reforming and redeeming the world, we've used it to simply lay out a platitude. So let's start at the beginning. Prayer is first and foremost about a connection. Prayer is relational. It's the, it's the coin, it's the capital, it's the way in which we interact and connect with God, the way that heaven kisses earth, the way that we come face to face with the divine, where we can endear ourselves to him, where he can speak to us, and where we can learn from him tools and resources to impact our lives and ultimately to change our lives forward. Jesus demonstrated this himself in Luke 5.16. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus, God himself, so seeks out the connection with his Father that he goes to a place where he can find strength and solace and resources for the tasks ahead of him. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he uses the moniker first of Father. This was unheard of. You don't address God, the ultimate authority, like you would your dad, like an Abba Father, and yet Jesus demonstrates and opens the way for us to interact with God in the most personal, way imaginable by entering into his throne room. It's a direct line of communication with God himself. We can be influenced by his nature and his goodness, and we can be transformed to be change agents in the world. That's probably the second reality that we should just identify, that prayer is fundamentally about transformation. 
It's about transforming ourselves, transforming us into the likeness of God, doing some soul work within ourselves to make us more into the image of the divine who created us. But it's also about transforming the world in which we interact. And as we change, we are so equipped to change other people. That's the quote here. Richard Foster has this, and it's something that I just remember, that to pray is to change. In your prayers, are you finding yourself revealing and speaking with God about things that actually matter, things that actually are soul work within you? Or have we relegated prayer to 30 seconds before we eat a meal or to bedtime prayers? It's not simply a blessing on our food. There's so much more. That's probably where I'd kind of end this first sermon set would be to say that prayer is also powerful, that it's dangerous, that it actually has work to do and that it can change the world around us. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer is an invitation to accept and to be a conduit of God's divine power displayed through you, his presence at work in our lives, whether for healing the sick or for casting out unclean spirits or being transformed into the image of God, and we've reduced it to something that's quick and easy. We've reduced it to a 30-second bowing of the head in silence. In short, I fear that we've lived up to the criticism of our critics. We prove them right by our actions. So by all means, let's stop offering meaningless thoughts and prayers. Let's stop praying in name only, and instead could we embark on a journey to learn a hidden reality about the power and effectiveness and the reality of prayer, not only in Scripture, but its manifestation in our lives. Could we find a space to where prayer became essential for us to win at the game of life that God has called us to, to actually matter in those places that matter most? Because if prayer isn't effective, if it isn't powerful, if it isn't transformational, if prayer isn't real, then why would we do it at all? Why would we engage in that? If prayer is what we say, speak, and believe that it is, then why doesn't it have the place and the importance and the power in our lives that Scripture says it ought to? I say this not to guilt us. I just want us to wrestle with the question that either you believe in prayer, and that should be evidenced in your life, or you don't believe in prayer as evidenced in your life. Because we all know the stories, right? The Old Testament people pray, fire falls down from heaven. In the Old Testament, right, people pray and rain comes. Jesus prays and spirits are cast out. Paul prays and the sick are healed and I pray and nothing, right? Here's my hunch. My hunch is that, that at some point in your faith journey that you believed in the power of prayer, right? That once upon a time you believed that such things were possible, but, but then that one time happened or multiple times happened or a thousand times happened where you prayed for something that you wanted and believed in more than anything, for someone to be healed, for a miracle to happen, for God's anointing on a specific moment, and nothing happened. They passed away. They weren't healed you didn't pass the test. The person rejected you anyway. The Broncos lost. Don't act like you don't pray for sports teams, right? I know what it's like fourth quarter. 
We have these experiences, though, are you with me, where we have prayer and we confess in it and we practice it, but then something happened where we prayed for something that we actually believed in, that we actually thought God was working in. We prayed real and fervently. We prayed a prayer bigger than ourselves, and it didn't happen. And there's a part of your faith that maybe is stuck there. There's a part of your faith, your prayer life, your expression in who you believe God to be that's stuck in that reality, trying to process the God who can do anything, the God who is supposed to respond to prayer, the God who can heal but didn't. The God who is all-powerful but he allowed such a horrible thing to happen. The God who so loved the world, but you felt so alone. And your prayer life, your belief, maybe even your faith is stuck there. Maybe it's still stuck there. Maybe it died there and is in need of a resurrection. And now prayer happens in parking lots, right? Looking for a good space. It happens over times that we, before we eat, it happens when we don't know what we're supposed to say and we don't know what to say and so we just offer our prayers, our thoughts and attitudes towards people. We think that prayer is supposed to work, that our belief can make a difference, but deep down we all have that story where we're not so sure because last time it didn't and that one time it didn't. How do you process the God who can but doesn't? How do you work through that question? How do you find yourself in that space believing and confessing your faith and proclaiming that you believe in an all-powerful, omniscient God who didn't come through on that one situation or multiple situations? Melissa, my wife, and I met in high school. We started dating our senior year. We got married after our sophomore year of college. She was going for nursing, and I was a ministry major, and the plan at that point is that she would make all the money. And uh, we'd go wherever God wanted us to go. We'd go to churches who maybe couldn't afford a pastor. We'd be able to follow God to any place that he called us to be because Melissa was going to be a nurse. And we thought and we dreamed about the ways in which God could redeem that for his kingdom, the way that we could turn those resources into kingdom work. We felt like that was the direction that God was leading and calling and directing our lives. When Melissa was pregnant with our third pregnancy and our second child, Asher, who I told you about last week, she got really, really sick. She would have repeating pain that would land us in the ER every three months like clockwork. She was on bed rest until Asher arrived, and then we embarked on a three-year journey to try and figure out and understand what was happening. We started with kidney stones. Yep, those were present, but that wasn't the actual problem. How about gallstones? How about other things going on just in that region? Nope, nope, nope. Finally, we got a diagnosis, something called interstitial cystitis. Let me educate you. It's where your bladder looks and feels like you skinned your knee on the playground perpetually. Finally, a diagnosis, right? With the right medical cocktail, maybe life could go back to normal. Nope. Thyroid. Nope. Appendix. Nope. Gut health. Nope. Adrenal gland. Nope. Fibromyalgia. Yes, but again, no fix. 
Finally, we landed on the diagnosis of narcolepsy, but again, no foundation to pursue life as we had planned it, life that we thought as normal. And for three years, I watched Melissa transform from a working nurse and mom who loved caring for people, who loved being at the bedside of elderly people who were in their final stages of life, providing them care and respite and nurture, watching her care for young women who'd been abandoned and abused, doing really good things, and it all just slipped away. And we prayed. We prayed a lot. We prayed specifically. We prayed fervently. We prayed hopefully. We prayed expectantly. We had people praying for us. We had people who had the gift of healing praying for us. I went to a prayer training program that is still one of the most foundational religious experiences of my life and of my faith, but Melissa was still sick. She's still not okay. What do you do with the God who can heal but doesn't? Did we pray wrong? Did I not put the words together in the right order? Is there something wrong with me, an unconfessed sin? Is there something in her life? We know that God loves us. We know that he wants us to be in his work. We were obedient and faithful in pursuit of him. Isn't this prayer thing supposed to work? Right? Especially for a pastor, right? Like, help a brother out, God. Like, this is what we're doing here. Are you with me? So clearly prayer doesn't work, right? Clearly it's a waste of time of misguided religious folk who need to step in to the 21st century. Except that on that journey, we've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered from spiritual oppression. I've experienced the transformational power of hearing from God and being in his presence and completely soaking him in. The problem is that prayer just isn't a vending machine. It isn't some repeatable formula that we can put in the right criteria and have God spit out the answer that we want. Prayer is powerful and it's effective and it works. It just ultimately isn't in our control. So if you'll allow me, I'd like to share some insights, some ways that we've processed through this, that my soul has processed through this, and to learn a little bit more about this God who can but sometimes doesn't. This God who is all-powerful and omniscient, but sometimes our prayer life doesn't match up with the way in which he's leading and working and transforming our lives. So prayer doesn't work because, number one, we don't believe what we say. Sometimes our prayers are ineffective. Sometimes the things that happen in our life, prayer doesn't work simply because we don't actually believe what we say about prayer. We don't actually believe what we say when we pray. In Matthew 17, the disciples are trying to cast out an unclean spirit, and he's resisting. They can't drive it out. Jesus, at this point, has given them power and authority to cast out demons. They're used to this working. And then in Matthew 17, one doesn't cooperate. And they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Here's his very loving response in verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. Thanks, Jesus. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. No guilt trips, no religious manipulation here, but some of us, our faith died and we became stagnant way back when and we stopped praying big prayers because we never wrestled with the God who can but doesn't. 
And so you stopped believing what you say to be true about prayer and you let it resolve to a platitude in your life. You let it resolve to simply blessing the food before you eat it. Our prayer life will always be ineffective if we don't actually believe that it works, that it's powerful, that it's real. And when we pray, sometimes we pray asking if God will, if it's his will, if it's in line with his perspective. And what we're really doing there is trying to insulate our souls from actually believing in something bigger. Jesus has a teaching in response to this true too. He's healing a man's son and the man says, if you can heal him, if you can make him well, Jesus retorts in verse Mark 9 verse 23, if you can, Jesus echoed, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's, the boy's father cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Here's the reality. If you're stuck in not believing in the effectiveness of prayer anymore or ever, start with this confession. I do believe. God, help my unbelief. Start at the very beginning. Start with a fresh reset to let things slide, to say, God, I'm committed to wrestling through this with you. I do believe. I want to believe. I know I ought to believe. I should believe. I believed that one time. I believed way back then. God, help my unbelief. Number two, prayer doesn't work because sometimes we believe the wrong things. Sometimes our prayers don't work because we're simply believing and putting our trust in the wrong things. We use God like a vending machine or attempt to bend God to obey us. And when our wishes aren't met, we find a new genie. And instead of finding a conduit for his will and grace to flow through us, we are disappointed that our wishes didn't come true. Jesus' words to the Pharisees in Matthew 22 are this. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. If you've never wrestled with prayer or in prayer, if you never needed God to intervene, or if you've never fought through the disappointment of an unanswered prayer and learned from it on the other side, then you are in sore need of an education about the power and the working presence of God in prayer, both in Scripture and in the lives of the saints around you. If you believe the wrong things about prayer, if you misunderstand the way that this relational thing works, then you're going to constantly pray for the wrong things and be let down, not because God is letting you down, but because you're in the wrong space. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the reality of the power of God. Number three, prayer doesn't work because we don't ask whether from pain or fear or lack of belief, we've stopped praying, we've stopped asking, we've stopped seeking, we've stopped believing, and prayers don't work if you don't ask. Matthew 7, you could probably quote it along with me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So don't let the fear of your interpreted past mistakes rob you from what God wants to do now. He wants you to work now. He wants you to dare to believe, to ask, and not just for parking spaces, but for things that actually matter, for the big things. Some of us just stopped asking because we never processed through the disappointment of God who didn't answer our prayer. Number four, prayer doesn't work because we pray for the wrong reasons. 
James 4.3 says, when you ask, when you do what we've been talking about, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Prayer isn't turning God into a vending machine. We've talked about that, but sometimes we're not faithful with what God has given us in our lives. And so when we pray for more, when we pray for him to move on our behalf, part of his response is, you haven't been faithful with what I've already given you, so I can't give you more. When we pray just to make ourselves more comfortable, when we pray to move our lives in the direction that we see fit, oftentimes we're disappointed because God doesn't work like a genie. Prayer is a conduit and a connection to God, and if we only use it to ask for stuff, then it's doomed for failure. I don't call my parents nearly as often as I should. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I don't talk to them nearly as often as I should, but if every time I call them, I'm going, hey, can you transfer a little bit of money? Hey, we've got this thing coming up. If the only reason that I call them is for the resources that they possess, how are they going to feel about that? They're my parents. They're going to love me anyway, right? Those of us that are parents in the room, you know and understand that dynamic. Nonetheless, nobody likes a relationship to feel like a transaction, Nobody wants the relationship to be taken advantage of. Nobody wants to be in relationship only for what they can give to the other person. God wants to grant our, our opportunities in this life, but we shouldn't expect him to grant our wishes when we've abdicated our relationship with him. Prayer is a connection, not a superpower. So I say all this not as somebody who has mastered prayer, but as somebody who is still asking the question. As somebody who holds my belief in who God is and what he can do in one hand and my reality and the true situation that I live in in another. We cannot leave those things divorced and separate. We must bring them together and reconcile that God is at work in us and working through us and at work through our prayers and opportunities. But if we stop the hard work of trying to put our faith together, it will constantly be divided and separated and we will be missing out on what God is actually trying to do in our lives. I've got one more sermon. Y'all in there for a little bit? A couple of you are. Here we go. Recently, I connected with someone who uh, was actually a youth leader in my youth group way back when I was in middle school, and it's been great to kind of catch up and talk, but one of the things that I was reminded of is that the, the very rubric that I use for prayer came from that season of my life, from middle school, and I've just kind of carried it with me. It's, uh, it's not the answer to prayer. It's not the way to get your prayers answered, but it is a path and a journey that at least helps me stay connected with God and prioritize my my relationship with him. And so I, I ran out of space on your bulletin because we're doing three sermons. So it's a little ACTS acronym kind of to the side over there. And so I want to give you just a couple of pieces therein to fill in there. So the A simply stands for acknowledge. Acknowledge. Recognize that God is God that you are not. Start with worshiping. Start with magnifying. Start with putting him up in the place where he deserves. Recognizing that he's on the throne that you are not. By starting with acknowledging who God is, you place your soul and your spirit in a place to receive from him. And not just the things that you want, but anything that will give, that will come from him to our souls because he is so great and he is so 
majestic that anything that he would choose to give us is a gift. So instead of starting with our requests, let's start with worship and with putting God first. The C is for confess. Confess. You may have sin to confess. You may have shortcomings or failures. The point is, after we acknowledge who God is by worshiping and proclaiming his name, then let's confess who we are that we fail God constantly, that we fall short of our ideals of even who we want to be, let alone who God designed us to be. Ask for a fresh start. Sometimes our prayers are stifled because we don't want to go through the transformative process of admitting our failure before God. When we don't admit our failures, we cut ourselves off from receiving his mercy and his grace and his love because we aren't honest about where we need him. We relegate it to a small portion. We don't come face to face with the areas that we need to confess. We rob ourselves of the joy that is present in that confession. This isn't just for that one time at camp. It isn't for that one time you raised your hand or came to the altar. Every single day we confess our sins before God. You don't need a priest or a pastor. You just need an anointed time, a set time to come before God and confess. Again, this reminds us of our place of God's grand scheme in the universe and for our biggest needs, and it invites grace and love and mercy to fill in the areas where we fall short. T is for thanksgiving or thankfulness. Gratitude is a researched characteristic that helps people have more joy in life. It elicits and expresses empathy and a depth of spirit. And yet so often, even around the Thanksgiving table, we say, what are you thankful for? And it's a challenge for us. Every day, every time you pray, acknowledge who God is, confess who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then thank God for his love in the midst of all of those things. Thank him for the work that you have, for the comforts that you have, for the family that you have, for the pain that lets you know that you're alive, for the smell of rain, for the oxygen that fills your lungs. You have so much to be thankful for. And developing a regular pattern of thanksgiving to God puts us again in the, in the perspective to receive from him even more and abundantly than we ever realized that we have. And last, the S is for supplication, asking for stuff, right? Your list goes here. Often this is the only place where prayer exists for us when we express the things that we have. But when we place ourselves in this order of worshiping God first, of recognizing ourselves second, and then proclaiming our thankfulness to all that he's already done, our requests are filtered through that lens. And all of a sudden we pray better prayers. We ask for things that God is actually ready to meet. We pray with belief because we've already seen the ways that he's come through in our lives. We stop praying for superfluous things, for things that don't actually matter, and instead pray for the things that make an impact on the lives that we lead. We do ask him for help. Remember, the scripture says that he's a good father. He longs to give us good gifts. We simply have to come to him in a way that allows us to receive. He expresses to the prodigal son, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. The way that I remember this acronym, right, is that there's the gospel, which is when Jesus was here and now you and I live in the days of the acts of the apostles. We are defined as such. And so our disciplines, our habits, the things that we do come through our acts. 
I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to close together, and I appreciate you sitting through three sermons. I hope one of them was at least good for you. Um, And I just want to close with what other appropriate way, an act of prayer. So I'd invite you to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and as you pray, to perhaps think through the things that stood out for you. This isn't a placeholder. This isn't a transition so the band can get up here. I could care less about that. What I care about is that we take a moment to place the reality of our souls before our divine and heavenly Father and open ourselves and say, okay, God, what do I need to hear? What do I need to experience? What do I need to come to you for? Maybe your faith is stuck in an unanswered prayer somewhere. Maybe you're currently stuck in an unanswered prayer. Maybe you don't have the faith to even ask God to intervene in the biggest situation of your life because you're so convinced that it's not going to matter anyway. I want to encourage you and remind you and speak to you that God loves you, that he has a plan for your life, and that even in the course of the unbelief and unanswered prayers, that God is still God, that he is still for you, and that he is still working. He just might have something to do with transforming you instead of granting your request. By the same token, I would encourage you to own your own prayer life and discipline. What are the areas and places and spaces where prayer occupies for you? Does it add meaning and value to your life or is it relegated to transition times? Is it relegated to praying before meals and bed and parking spaces and sports games? Not that any of those are wrong. There's just so much more for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would meet us in our time of need, that we would come face to face with the God who can answer our prayers, who is able to do all we could ever ask and hope and dream and more, and yet for a time, for a season, doesn't. God, grow our souls through those moments. Teach us something about you and about your love. God, grant us the faith to move forward, the belief to confess that we still have belief in you, that we still trust you, even while we're still seeking the answers to the problems that we have. God, would you meet us in that space and in that time, and would you define our faith and our trust in you by refining our souls in that moment? God, we acknowledge that you're God and that we're not. We confess that we have so many areas that we fall short. Yet, God, we're thankful for your love displayed in Jesus on the cross. And so, God, we come boldly before you asking for the deepest needs and concerns of our hearts, not because we know that you'll answer them carte blanche, but because we know that you'll take us on a journey of challenging and transforming and reforming our souls that we might be change agents in the world for you. No matter where you're at on that journey from belief and agreeance to stubborn and digging your heels in, if you're a child of God, would you agree with me this morning by saying amen.
free.